Father, thank you for meeting with us today. Thank you for the refreshment of singing together, the encouragement that it brings our hearts, the clarity that reviewing these doctrines in song bring to our minds. Thank you, Father, for the encouragement of your word now as we anticipate you doing what you do so often, taking your word, using it as a scalpel, using it as a mirror, using it to grow us spiritually, to teach us who we are in your presence. Father, may we find this time very valuable. May it just continue to be part of our worship, to be still before you, to listen humbly to your word. Father, would you, through your Holy Spirit, take the message and use it as you see fit. In Jesus' name we pray now. Amen. One of my favorite preacher jokes goes like this. Most of you have heard it a couple times from me. There's these two guys, and they're shipwrecked out in the ocean. They're drift, they're adrift for days, holding on to wreckage from the ship. They drift ashore on this South Pacific island, and it's just a small rise of lava rock and sand and a few palm trees that stick out of the ocean and there they are and they're they're utterly exhausted and the one guy pulls himself up and he drags himself over and he finds a palm tree and he kind of wipes himself down and he leans back against the palm tree and puts his head back and just takes a rest the other guy gets up and he shakes himself clean and he He realizes that he can look over the whole island in a few minutes and he he just scurries around, running around, checking out the island. He comes back and he he says to the guy, how can you just sit there? He said, we're lost in the middle of nowhere in the ocean on this island and there's no resources here. There's not even a coconut here right now. There's nothing. We're going to die. The guy who had been sitting resting just kind of opens one eye and looks up at him and he says to the guy, He said, you don't understand. He said, I am a very successful man and I tithe heavily to my church. My pastor will find me. I think it's because of pastors like that. (laughs) At least he could rely on his pastor. It's like pastors, it's because of pastors like that, that for a number of years now, Couple of last couple of decades, one topic that has been taboo in the church is money. Most pastors are very uncomfortable to speak and to teach and to preach about money. There have been, of course, just a, a wealth of resources through organizations like Crown Financial and Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University that we're offering right now. And um, these are great resources to help Christians get a grip on their finances and to have a biblical understanding of God's view of money. But by and large, preachers and pastors are a little bit timid to talk about money in church. But that's what we've been talking about the last couple weeks. We're going to talk about it a little bit more this morning because we're finding out in our instruction from Paul to Timothy to the church at Ephesus and hence to our church, preserved by God's Spirit for us in His Word, 
that money is a really important topic, we're actually going to find that he's not done after this talking about money. He's going to conclude his book, his letter to Timothy, addressing this young pastor's attitude towards those who have significant resource in the ministry. We'll see that probably two weeks from today. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and, and let's remind ourselves where we've been a little bit. And the Apostle Paul this morning is going to talk about the tragic results of falling into the money trap. The tragic results of falling. And then he has a twofold response to that that we want to hear this morning that will help us. It will seem a little bit oversimplistic, but I think that you'll find it helpful. Let's begin by reading from 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6 to verse 16 this morning as our text. The Apostle Paul, in the context, as you remember, the last couple of weeks we've talked about it, in cautioning Timothy to shut down false teachers in the church whose main motivation for their teaching ministry in the church is to gain financially and materially The Apostle Paul tells Timothy to shut them down. He then transitions into some reminders about what true gain is and some cautions about the tragic result of the love of money. He says in verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. And we reviewed last week some of the characteristics of a contented Christian. He gives the sobering reminder in bringing a slice of reality to the congregation in verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of this world. The book of Job says that naked I came into the world, and naked I leave. Some who work for hospice understand that exactly. The point there is... That if I don't have anything to start with, and I don't have anything that I can take with me, and life is but a vapor, and our days go by swifter than a weaver's shuttle, Job says, and anybody over 50 completely understands that, then I had better be careful about living for this world and this side of eternity. He goes on to instruct then, But those who desire to be rich, here's our first word, fall into temptation. The tragic results of falling are now going to be described. They fall into temptation. All right, what are some of the temptations that somebody who loves money can fall into? I quickly wrote a list of them. See if you agree with me. How about hoarding? Hoarding. How about wasting? How about worrying? Not too many people are more stressed out than people who love money and really want to be rich, who are more stressed out than they. How about coveting? Coveting. I know that being poor stinks, but I'm telling you, when you have in your heart that secret desire to be wealthy, and it is for the wrong reasons, you become guilty of coveting, don't you? Most of us have been there at one moment or another. Stealing. 
It would be easy to bring up the prosecuting attorney here this morning and to illustrate how, along with alcohol, the love of money is the motivation behind almost all crimes. Their desire to have something that someone else has, materially, monetarily. People will do the most ignorant and stupid things, trying to... Just recently, I read a story of a a bank robber who went in, and everybody in the bank knew the guy because he grew up in the community. Duh! Paul says, senseless things that they will do. Stealing. How about lying? How about lying? To manipulate and to massage the circumstances so that you can have more, more, more. Cheating. How about borrowing when you shouldn't borrow and owing when you shouldn't owe? Just a small list of some of the snares and the senseless and harmful desires that Paul says they plunge people into ruin and destruction. He then goes on to say, and we've reviewed these verses already, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. ESV, it's kind of neat how they use it. Many pangs. You know what a pang is? It's grief. It's grief. It's running yourself, impaling yourself with grief because of the love of money, allowing yourself to make decisions you should have never made. A couple weeks ago, we pointed out how real that was in the life of Gehazi. Remember in 2 Kings 5? The tragic results of falling, there they are. And one of the things that we need to caution ourselves before we look at Paul's twofold response to these tragic results and how do we deal with it is to just stop and to be honest with ourselves. That's not easy to do, is it? And to look ourselves in the mirror, so to speak, figuratively here this morning, and to say, it could happen to me. It could happen to me. The Apostle Paul warns, let him that thinks he stand take heed, lest he fall. One of the things that we need to continually live with is a fear of falling. If you lose your fear of falling, you set yourself up for a hard fall. Do you know that? And most of us think, well, I really have a handle on it. But this kind of thing can creep its ugly head up at any given time. But what is Paul's response? Let's take a look at his response now, a twofold response. The first is what I call the strategic maneuver of fleeing. The strategic maneuver of fleeing. Let me illustrate. I was in seventh grade. His name was Raymond. I think his last name was something like Thal. Raymond Thal is burned into my brain. He was a kid who had muscles in fifth grade. Sideburns in sixth grade. (laughs) He wasn't very tall, but he was tough. And for some reason, he didn't like Van. I walked 10 blocks to school, and uh, we would go over one block and walk all the way up California Avenue to the upper grade center where the sixth, seventh, and eighth graders met, 10 blocks. And um, one day, Raymond told me after school today, I'm going to get you. I think that's bullying. 
scared the daylights out of me. Scared the daylights out of me. I worried about that. I thought, I'm pretty sure Raymond Thal can take me. I never fought before. I played ball and stuff, and I just thought, I don't know what to do. So I got a plan, and it worked. I got my stuff in order so that the second the bell rang and the teacher would let us out of our chairs, I was the first one out the door. I literally ran. It's called fleeing. I ran down the hall. I went out the door. I did not go out the front gate. I cut across the playground on an angle, jumped over the fence, and behind the row of houses were garages and an alley. And as fast as I could, I ran 10 blocks up the alley, and I got home safe. And Raymond didn't get me. Not that day. <laughs> the Apostle Paul says, listen, people, you've got, a, you've got a problem that you better watch out for. And the, the thing you need to do is you have to flee. Look what he says in verse 11. He says, but as for you, O man of God. Now he's speaking directly to Timothy. And in our context, let's remind ourselves that he's contrasting by calling Timothy, O man of God. It's in contrast to the false teachers who have used ministry for the false gain of increasing their own wealth. And they're the lovers of money that Paul's been warning Timothy not to become. And he says, O man of God. And that's a wake-up call to Timothy as well, because it's not a common title in the New Testament. It's a very common title in the Old Testament. But it was, and Timothy would have been well aware of it from studying the Scripture, that these, these are the guys who in the Old Testament were called men of God. Moses, David, Samuel, Elijah, Elisha. They are titles in the Old Testament that were used, you man of God, O oh man of God. And so when Paul writes to Timothy and he says, but as for you, O oh man of God, can you imagine how that made Timothy, young Timothy feel? His elder and his model and the mighty apostle Paul writes to him and calls him, O oh man of God. That's very humbling, isn't it? the spiritual leader in the local church, and here's his advice to him. Oh, you, O oh man of God, flee these things. That's an interesting terminology, isn't it? He doesn't say, now make sure you live on a budget, make sure you do... Listen, when these things well up inside you, when your eyes begin to distort reality in your brain and your heart begins to pound for these things, and you recognize through the Spirit of God in you that you have an inappropriate attitude and an inappropriate view of, these, of money and wealth and motivation, you better run! You better run! It's interesting that the, that the word in the Greek that is translated here to flee is a Greek word that sounds something like the English word that it, that it is translated to be. It's fugo. Fugo. Fugitive is the English word that comes from it. It means be a fugitive. It means you better be on the run and you better stay on the run. You better not sit still or it will catch you. You must continually flee these things. You need to be a fugitive. It's the way that Paul is telling Timothy, avoid it at all cost. It's an interesting instruction that the Apostle Paul gives to flee. Do you know that it brought to my mind other times 
in Paul's writing that he told us to flee. I thought it would be a good exercise for us to take just a minute and to remind ourselves of the things from which the believer in the Lord Christ is to be a fugitive. He's to be a running away from. The idea, think about it, is that when the Apostle Paul instructs, instructs, this is my technique for victory, run, is what's the obvious conclusion? The obvious conclusion is that if you're going to hang around and study it and try to deal with it and tell yourself the truth about it and study it and have seminars on it, it's going to get you. It's a lure with a hook in it and it's going to get you. You don't mess with it. Notice the things that he says. And let's do a little Bible study. It only takes a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Take a look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul uses the exact same word. Be a fugitive. Run fast. Run fast. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Look what he says. Flee. There it is. Run Become a fugitive from, look, from sexual immorality. Boy, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? What are you going to do? Just watch it for a minute? I was only going to look for a second. I was only going to hang out right here for just a few minutes. No, because you can't handle it. Joseph is our great model, isn't he? The moment... That he could feel his heart pace pick up and he could feel the adrenaline shot through his body at the perfume and the beauty of Potiphar's wife. What did he do? He fled. You got to run, man, because you can't handle this. That's what the Apostle Paul's saying. Turn the page to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14 and look what he says. Let's pick it up with verse 13 because, well, there's, let's pick it up with verse 12. Let's just keep reading, huh? Good stuff. These are great verses. I just referenced 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. You ought to underline that verse in your Bible. Now look at verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. All right, so his point is, you cannot say that this is unique to me, that nobody has ever felt this way before. Nobody ever felt so tempted like I do. That's hogwash. People all the time feel exactly like you feel. It's common. It's very common. There's nothing new under the sun. And it's for all time of all people. All people of all time experience all the same temptations. Satan has no new tricks The flesh does not come up with new ideas. It's just the same old thing because it all works really well. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Oh, you don't think you can endure it? Yes, you can. You got to find the escape. And sometimes the escape is just put your running shoes on and run, 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 run. Therefore, verse 14, here's our verse, my beloved, flee, look what the warning is, flee from idolatry. Remember that he reminded us in Galatians that greed is one of the driving forces behind idolatry. It's related. We're to flee, he says. Now back to, you can put your finger, if you had your finger in 1 Timothy, let's go past it to 2 Timothy to just one more. 
and this is related to the 618, but it's an all-encompassing warning to young Pastor Timothy as the Apostle Paul writes him for the final time in his life and ministry. 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 22. 2 Timothy 2, 22, look what he says. There it is again. So flee youthful passions and pursue. Now notice this list because we're going to go back to 1 Timothy where he has a very similar list. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Let's go back to 1 Timothy 6 now. Notice that the Apostle Paul, his strategic maneuver, his strategic maneuver to avoid the tragic results of falling into the snare of the love of money is to flee. Get yourself separated from it. When you flee one thing, you're running towards another thing. And the Apostle Paul now says, and so pursue righteousness and godliness. Okay, these are This is just my relationship with God, that I'm growing in righteousness. I look like God. I look like Christ. I have a godly heart. I'm motivated by Scripture, by faith and love. I'm growing in my faith. Built upon my salvation is a growing, ever-increasing ability to trust God and His Word. All of this is useless without love, and I'm growing in love, in steadfastness, And in gentleness. Steadfastness is one of the signs of a mature believer, isn't it? That you are steadfast. You're not fickle. You're not up and down. But you're a steady, growing Christian. And then, gentleness. One of the fruits of the Spirit that I'm trying to work on more. To be more gentle. To be more kind. To let the Spirit of God work in. Don't be so grouchy and grumpy. Don't let life's circumstances mess with your mind and your emotions so much. You're to flee this, you'd go to that. You know, I think that this is a call, this idea of fleeing. I don't know what you deal with. I don't know exactly what you're vulnerable to and how you're vulnerable to it. I would say, for example, in my life, if you walked in my garage, you would think that it's a great place to do a reality TV show for hoarders. (laughs) And it kind of is. Now, I can psychoanalyze this thing and tell you that it's because I grew up kind of poor. My dad never had enough cash on hand. And so my dad also grew up through the Depression. And so my dad instilled in me a mindset of the value of junk. Everything. You don't throw that away. I'll give you an example. I pick up. I pick up political signs along Daniel Road on our property. It makes me mad when the politicians come through and they put their signs on our property. So as soon as I see them, I whip my truck over and I pull them out. So I have a whole stack of political signs. Most of them are made out of a really heavy-duty wire with a plastic banner. So what I do is, I'm glad you asked, I take the plastic banner off and I throw that away. That's junk. But do you know that heavy-duty wire might come in handy? (laughs) And so I have a whole stack of heavy-duty wire. It's heavier than coat hanger, and it might come in handy. And, you know, it's just there, gobbed up. And when I built my house and the electrician cut off all the ends of, of all the wire, I go around and I collect it. And I've got a whole box full of cut-off wire because... 
I might build a workshop someday and on my workbench I'm going to have outlets that far apart and I can use a 32 inch piece of wire. Okay? Now I say all that to say because you got your thing. It might be like shoes. Oh, oh, no, no, no. I'm talking about like Isaiah and basketball shoes even. I can't wear those. I've got nothing to go with my outfit. I don't know what it is that you have that's out of control in your life. But we need to take some measures to distance ourselves from it, to become a fugitive, to flee from it. And so one of the things that I'm trying to do, it helps that I can't remember what it was after I do it, is to just throw away stuff. It's not worth keeping, but it has some value. Throw it away because you know what happens? I can't find it when I need it and I run to Home Depot and I buy it. So instead of keeping something, a hoarder has to learn to throw stuff away, valuable stuff, or give it away. Somebody who has a, a thing materially with shoes or whatever the item is, you've got to figure out what it means to you to distance yourself from that so that, so that you are free in your spirit from the control of being at Kohl's and not being able to help yourself, but you got to go look at the shoe rack. You might be naughty, just don't go to Kohl's. But I'm telling you that you can identify in your life these things, and I'm telling you, these are the things that Satan often uses to expose our vulnerable, weak underbelly. Where we're vulnerable to the enemy to creep in. And you need to flee from it by taking action in that area. Sometimes it means giving away something that means a lot to you. I'm not saying give away your grandfather's Bible or something. But you know, if you really like something, every once in a while it's good for you to say, I want to give this and the Lord will put it on your heart who you're going to give it to. So that you are free from the love of things and free from the love of money. And you are fleeing from it. You're pursuing these other things. Notice that the third point that he makes and the second response to the tragic, we've, we first have the tragic results of falling and we want to avoid that, the snare. So we use the strategic maneuver of fleeing, but then the Apostle Paul makes the apostolic call for fighting. This is a well-known passage, and listen, look at verse 12 as we wrap up. Fight the good fight of the faith. Fight the good fight of the faith. Here's the mighty apostle calling on Timothy to fight the fight. The Greek word here is an interesting word for fight, and it can be used as a soldier. It's often used in Paul's writing as an athlete, and it's the, we get our English word, the word that was Translated in the, this context, fight, there's the Greek word, we get our English word agonize from it. It's an agony word. Continue to fight. Here's the point. You may go to your grave fighting the flesh and the devil and the world in your area of weakness. You may never, ever get free 
from the fight. And we live in a world that materialism is huge, isn't it? We live in a world where we're vulnerable to wanting more, more, more. How much is going to make you happy? More. Why do you need another? I want it. Fight the fight. Agonize. We have three enemies, the Bible tells us. The first one is the flesh. Our first enemy is the flesh. And you know all about it. The Apostle Paul knew about it. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Remember, that's where he said... For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Do you know that feeling? I want to have the victory, and I'm fighting. And then my flesh, the residual of the old man that is yet unredeemed before I enter the presence of the Lord, and I have my new body, and all things will be made new. I have to fight the flesh. That means I don't set myself up to be vulnerable to the areas of my own weakness. That's what I mean about, like throwing away the whole politician sign or not going to the shoe department in Kohl's. Whatever it is, it sounds stupid, but you know what I'm talking about. Fighting the flesh and knowing that you're doing exactly what you shouldn't do at that moment. Instead, you're pursuing righteousness and faith and love and those things. I'm growing spiritually. The second enemy that we have is the devil. Ephesians 6.12 Ephesians 6.12 says... For we do not wrestle, there's the word fighting, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Some of us wish we did, and then we could do something about it. But we have an invisible enemy. We wrestle against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is difficult for us to discern. It's hard to identify. But the reality is that the believer in the Lord Christ is under attack from spiritual forces. It's not an excuse. You can't say the devil made me do it because we're held accountable for our behaviors and our actions. So we fight the flesh, we fight the devil, and then we have this whole world system that Paul warned us about this world system. And this is a tough one. Especially if we... And this is the seriousness of media. Media is the textbook of the world. It's teaching us how to think. Every time we open up our laptop, every time we look at our smartphone, every time we're online, we're being bombarded with messages. And we go to movies and it's filled with messages. And we watch commercials and, and we have TV shows and we have magazines and articles and radio programs. And we're being bombarded, by and large, often by a framework of godlessness that is teaching me in very powerful mediums to think a certain way. That's why sometimes you've got to flee that stuff and you have to keep fighting the fight. Paul said in Romans 12, 1 and 2, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. The idea of being conformed by the pattern of this world reminds me of my junior high shop class when out of a piece of two by four, I worked up the shape of a submarine with a fin and a tail and a tapered body and a rounded off nose in junior high shop class when we were doing our plastics uh, clinic time. And we built out of wood a mold and then we put it in plaster of Paris and, and then we pulled the mold out of the plaster and then we took the plastic or whatever it was we used and we filled the mold. And what happened? The liquid plaster goes in and fills the whole mold and then when you take the plaster of Paris off, you had the submarine shape. It, it filled the mold. It pressed it into its mold. 
And the world is trying to press us into its mold. That's why we have to keep fighting the fight. Let's quickly look at what Paul tells Timothy to to think, how to think. Fight the good fight of the faith. Look what he says. Timothy, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. One of the first things we have to do in our mindset is to begin to live for eternity. Take hold of eternity. Don't live for this world. Live for the next. And look what he says. For you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The other thing you want to remember, Timothy, is your confession. Remember your testimony standing before the congregation saying that you were going to live for God and you were going to preach the gospel. Many of you have that kind of testimony. Many of you have stood up at campfires at camp or in a testimonial service and, or in a baptismal waters and you've said, as for me and my house, we want to serve the Lord. Well, then fight the fight. Remember to live for eternity. Remember your testimony, your confession that you gave in the presence of many witnesses. And then he says in verse 13, and I charge you in the presence of almighty God. Remember that God is watching you, Timothy. God is watching you. He gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. What's that all about? That's the idea. He's telling Paul is telling Timothy, don't forget to remember how Jesus gave a confession to Pontius Pilate that cost him his life. But he was unmovable in his testimony. Pontius Pilate looks at him and he says, are you a king? Jesus said, is it as you say? And I have come as the truth. Pontius Pilate condemns him to death. Right there, he could have denied it and he could have given a different testimony, but his testimony was unwavering. He wouldn't change. Paul says to Timothy, you keep the same kind of testimony as Jesus, unwavering, even if it costs you your life, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. Don't stain the testimony of the gospel and the appearing of our Lord Jesus until the appearing of our Lord Jesus. We just sang about it. And Lord, haste the day when our faith will be sight. We need to live every day longing for the return of Christ to be found faithful at his return, which he will display at the proper time. And then he just gives a benediction. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. The Apostle Paul is concerned about young Timothy. He's concerned that he not experience the tragic results of falling into the trap, the money trap. So he gives him the strategic maneuver of fleeing and fighting. That's hard, isn't it? It's hard. It's why we need one another. It's why we need God's word. It's why we need to be walking in the truth on our own. The fruit of the Spirit Self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's why you can't just be a 10-minute Christian every week. You'll never survive. You can't even be a 55-minute Christian. You've got to remember, we're living for eternity now. We're going to lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth where moth and rust corrupt. We've got to remember our testimony and our calling that we're salt and light in this world and we don't want to be stained 
by living an impure life or being caught in these traps, these snares, being impaled by inappropriate behaviors. And when you stop and think about it, does the church really look and act that much different than the rest of the world? I hope so. Because we're waiting for his coming and he's the only one true God he's worth living for. Let's bow in prayer. I don't know if there's a specific area that you need to address in your life. Is there something that you can identify from which you need to flee? You need to create a distance between yourself and this problem area. Would you ask God right now to give you the strength to do that? And as you flee from that, you're fleeing towards, and let's just ask God right now to grow us in our relationship with Him and to just revel in His goodness, that He's so good to us, He will take care of us, He watches over the birds of the air, clothes the flowers of the field, that we can have a contentment, spiritually speaking, that is a great testimony of the difference that Christ is making in our lives. Father, thank you for this great challenge that Paul gave Timothy that we can adopt and, and we can interject it into our lives and living. And so show us what it means to live on the run, Lord, running from the things of this world, running towards your face, reveling in your goodness, trusting in your provision, being content with food and raiment. And then as you bless us and give increase to be wide wise stewards of those increases, that we would use them well, that we would not impale ourselves with the tragic results of chasing after money. Father, we really need you through your Holy Spirit to just work and root around and show us the ways that we need to improve in this area as a church. So please do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.